Good morning. Let's talk about marriage. One of my favorite topics. Someone asked me, is this sex day? And I said, I don't know. Ask my wife. So, <laughs> um, how do you go from uh, being counseling to needing counseling? I mean, how does a, how does a relationship happen like that? Is that normal? Is that abnormal? Um, let me ask you a question that maybe could get us back there. Um, what, what is the, the essence of, of your life? I mean, what, what is it that if I got five of people who know you the best and I said, give me one, two, or three words, maybe a phrase that really does um, categorize, describe, give me a clear feeling of who you are. Now, I'm not asking for your pronouns, okay? I really don't care about your pronouns. Um, I, I'm, I'm wanting the essence of who you are. And, and what is that? So, in a sense, it's, it's like your operating system. Uh, it's what happens when you get out of balance and, and you go back to finding, you know, that sense of true north. I, I have to get back here so I know which direction to head. What does that look like in your life? That, that sense of what is my guidance system in my world? Now, when I say a few moments ago, we're going to talk about marriage, I, I, if you're single, uh, there's a chance that you're going to check out on me. Now, I, I'd like to just ask a favor of you if you're single here today, that, that you wouldn't check out on me because basically uh, I can give you the end before we get there, and, and, and the fact is, is that great marriages are put together when two people learn what it's like to be human. And for most of us, for most of us, we don't get that in the homes that we grow up in. So it's what makes a struggle for us to couple. It's what makes a struggle for us as, a, as an individual, not married, to, to find genuine meaning in life. It's what happens when you put two of those individuals together, those not yet humans together in a marriage relationship. It's why sparks fly. Uh, you know, performed a lot of wedding ceremonies. In fact, Friday afternoon, I stood right on this platform with a young couple who had planned four wedding wedding dates and uh, through the COVID era it all, it all been obliterated so they finally said look um, we want to get married we don't care who's there can, can you meet us at 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon and we'll find a place to, to do the ceremony so I turned the lights on I called Greg I said Greg help me turn these lights on let's make it pretty as we can there were about 6 or 7 people here besides the bride and groom and we stood right here and they said some very sweet things to one another. But I said some very mean things to them. <laughs> I turned to the groom and I said, look, Thomas, I think you know that she won't always look this lovely. In fact, there will be times when you don't like her. There will be times when she is so mean that she does injury to your very soul. But the fact is, is that what you're doing today, you're, you're committing to be 
her husband, not her boyfriend, not the girl you live with, not, not your roommate, nothing. You're committing to be her husband. And because of that, the Bible declares a responsibility for you that is so difficult that there may, a, there may be a moment in your life when you call today the worst day of your life. Because today you take upon yourself the responsibility to love her like Jesus Christ loved the church. The, the church is, is simply those people who are putting their trust in Jesus and, and willing to act as if what he says is true. Before their relationship with God, they realize that, that they, they had a broken relationship with God. At one point, they're on their way to spend eternity apart from God. And when they began to trust Jesus, that direction changed from eternity apart from God to eternity with God. And they began to seek Him as their true guidance system. What is it that brings meaning to their life? They bring this God in heaven, His Son Jesus, into the core of their being and and seek Him as their prime counselor and direction finder in their life and so thomas was taking upon himself that responsibility to love this young lady as jesus christ loved us it's pretty clear when you read the bible things like romans in romans 5 we're talking about uh abraham's relationship with god and and it talks about how abraham has now become a friend of god because he, he crossed that moment of, of to stop trusting himself, to start trusting in his creator. And, and he began the, the journey. And, and Paul describes it. He went from being an enemy to being a friend of God. And so marriage is, is made up of a relationship when a, when a husband loves his wife in that way that even when she's his enemy... He moves toward her with a compassion and an understanding and a love that she's never experienced before. Now, right now, if we ended this, the women are going to go out of this room who are married and thinking, yes, he nailed it. He got it exactly right. I hope you were listening. <clears throat> I turned to the bride. And I said, look, today, today, God is asking you to do something that is going to be very difficult for you. When Paul ends Ephesians 5, after he tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, he tells wives to respect their husbands. Unconditional, irrational <coughs> respect. Not because your husband's respectable. Not because he deserves respect, but your lot in life as taking on the responsibility of loving this man is to respect him, irrespective <laughs> of how he acts, is, does, says, you're to give him respect. So 
what, what gets us to that point? How do we get to a, a level of being able to make this kind of thing work? Because we know that sparks are going to fly, right? We know that we're going to go. Uh, I don't care who you are. When, b- before you got married, you came with starry eyes. You made some commitment to one another uh, in, in, in a public setting. And you declared, we're husband, we're wife. And, and you moved on and you began this relationship. And so all of a sudden... Um, Without even thinking about it, all of these emotions, all of these uh, romanticis, romantic, feel, romantic feelings and all the, the, the things that we envision, it, it slowly fades. You know, there's a, there's a law of physics, the second law of thermodynamics. I'm not a scientist. I was asleep in science class all the way through some reason I guessed well on test and made it through. But I know that, that that law is a law of relationship too. That, you know, a, a body in motion tends to stay in motion until it's acted upon. Um, you know, what, what happens is, is the decay that happens in that system in the second law of thermodynamics, it, it decays. Its arc goes in the direction it, it didn't start in. And that's what happens in a relationship, unless there's energy that's added to it. And so those who one day are needing counseling end up counseling others. But then all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you end up back on the other end of that, needing people to speak into your life. You need a marriage community. You need the beauty of what it's like to live with other people around you speaking into your life. You know, um, I could boil down today what my thoughts about marriage are from, from really one passage in the Bible. Just, just one, one simple passage in the Bible. I think it's the most important passage in the entire Bible about marriage. In fact, I would say it's the most important passage in the Bible about being fully human, whether you're married or not. If you can't grasp this concept, then it's probably pretty clear that you haven't gotten the entire story of the Bible. You know, that story of of God creating the world. He wanted a family. He created Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve became his family, but yet they decided that being a part of the family wasn't enough. They wanted more. And and so they violated the heart of their father by by wanting more, doing what he, he asked them not to do because he knew that they couldn't handle what they were about to do. And sure enough, when they began to step outside of of God's intended purposes in life, life, life fell apart for them. And it's really fast. If you look in Genesis 1, you don't have to read very far through until Genesis 4 until you find that their kids are now killing one another. And this life is really screwed up. And it stayed screwed up and continues to stay screwed up until this time. But God wasn't willing to give up, so he sent his son, Jesus. 
He wanted a family. He wanted you and I to be a part of his family. He wanted us back. And so he sent Jesus. And Jesus came. And, and Jesus dealt with the issues that were necessary for getting us back into the family. The fact is, is that we had a penalty on our heads. And that penalty needed to be removed. And Jesus died on that cross so that penalty could be removed. So we could now have free access to our Father and be a part of his family again. That story... The beauty of that story means that, that you and I as individuals have someone in our camp all the time. When Jesus is leaving his early followers, those who, who were there after his crucifixion and resurrection, those people who made up the first men and women who, who began to develop these biblically flourishing communities throughout the Mediterranean, and we see this truth of God leaving heaven spreading up into Europe and then ultimately into east, in, into Asia, and west into North and South America. As those early followers are standing on a mountain and Jesus is about to leave them and leave earth and go to heaven, he says something really crucial to them, something that, that really capsulates so, sort of the, the, the secret about a marriage relationship. I, I bet for those of you who, who are you know, really church broke, you've been around the Bible a long time, you know a lot of stuff, you're thinking, this guy's spouting heresy. But, but the fact is, is that right there in, in Matthew 28, in verses 18, 19, and 20, we see this amazing picture. And Jesus, for the first time in his life, pulls rank. He's always been this humble leader. He, he's never demanded that people call him Lord or God or demanded that they kneel in his presence or any of that sort of stuff. He could have. He, he, he was God who came in the flesh. And he could have grabbed lightning bolts and, you know, made everybody crap their britches if he wanted to. But he didn't. But when he gets to this mountain, he says something. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He's like, you know, I step in the, the MMA ring and I win automatically. I'm the biggest, baddest dude in the universe. I, I have all authority. All power has been given to me. And then he says something else. He, he says, and I will be with you until the end. He's asking them to, to take this incredible message of, of God leaving heaven, coming to earth, and, and spread it throughout the known world. And he says, look, all authority has been given to me, and I'll be there in the end. I'll be there. You can count on that. When you and I grab that sense... Of, of what Jesus did for us, it begins to make us more fully human. And it begins to give us a kind of identity that allows us to relate together as two humans. Oftentimes I see a couple that comes together and they come together and they have this mentality, I'm bringing 50%. And if you bring 50%, we make a whole. Two halves make a whole. I'm telling you, that's a recipe for disaster. You could just ask my wife. I don't always bring 50%. I mean, I'm good if I get 35. 
or maybe out of my 20s, who knows? But, you know, the, the fact is, is that it never makes the whole. Two halves don't make the whole in this human relationship piece. But when we come together and we grasp this passage that I want to go to now, when we grasp the, the secret of what happens when, when we get this new identity as a child of God, this opportunity to know that there's always someone in my court, no matter what, Jesus tells this story in Luke 15 about the son who really screwed his father, wasted his wealth, went off and squandered all, all over and, and comes back. And the father runs to see his son. The, the son did not deserve what his father gave him. And Jesus is trying to give us that picture of God. That there is someone always in our court when we become a child of God. Despite our behavior, Despite our, our obedience or lack of it toward God, he's always in our court. We were made as human beings to have that sense of always having someone in our court. And so when Paul speaks to the Philippians, he shares a passage about what happened to Jesus and why it relates to us. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if you have any encouragement of, of being a child of the Father, if you have any comfort from his love, if, if you're experiencing the sense that God loves me, not only does he love you, but he likes you. You're a child of the Most High, and, and he, he sacrificed the most precious relationship he had so you could be in his family. That's that's the, the, the God who's always in our court. So Paul says, if you have any, any comfort from that love, if there's any, any common sharing in the spirit, if there's any sense of the power of community, you heard that in the Fisher's life, the power of community in their life. He says, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Well, those are hard things to do, hard things to fathom. It's like commitments that we make. But here's the, here's the bottom line. He kind of explains what that looks like. What does it mean to be of the same mind and one love? He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now imagine this. Paul is asking us to not try to get to the front of the line. Paul's asking us to think of one another as more important than ourselves. Imagine what would happen in your marriage relationship right now. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, if my spouse would just do that. I mean, if that was your, if that was your inclination, you've got to get the wax out of your ears. Because Paul is saying, look, think of one another as more. Look, look at your spouse. Look at your spouse and, and decide that, that you're going to think of them above yourselves. You're going to live an other-centered life. Now, there's some ramifications of this. Some ramifications that don't sit well 
in the culture that most of us have been raised in. And one of the ramifications is, is that I got to be me. I just got to be me. Well, I, I'm telling you, God has some things about, says some things about you that, that you need to hear. I mean, I, I know you got to be me. You're creating his, his likeness, his image, and that kind of stuff. But typically, when most of us say, I got to be me, we, we, we're saying to, to other people, you need to put up with me. It's like, no, no, no. It doesn't start there. It, it starts from externally. I don't know if you subtly heard the message from the fishers, but one of the things that helped their relationship was the fact that they were other-centered. Not for even their marriage. They were attempting to help other people. And in attempting to help other people, what happened? Something happened to them. When we begin to live this other-centered life, we begin to not think of ourselves as more important than someone else. That means our feelings. You hurt my feelings. Okay, I get it. You hurt my feelings. We can speak the truth in love. There's no doubt about that. But, but I also can presume that as I move towards you when I want to speak truth to you, I'm not presuming that my feelings are more important than anything else in this conversation. I can serve you by, by realizing that maybe I am not omniscient. I don't know everything. As humans, we so quickly presume ourselves to be God and we enter into a situation and we're always saying, well, they did that because or they said this because or all these kind of things. And it's like, I mean, that's just crap. You don't know that. I mean, someone needs to throw the bullshit flag on you. You do not know that. You are not God. And so the humility that we need to move toward one another in is this humility to be able to say, hey, I don't know everything here. My feelings were hurt. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what what was going on here. I want to... And so I put myself... Second, and, I, and I'm extending out. You see, when, when couples come together and they begin to put one another as more important than themselves, I, I know the fear right now. Some of you thinking, my husband will just walk all over me. Well, he might, but that doesn't mean you can't still continue to speak the truth in love. Or my wife will walk all over me. I mean, I'll, I'll never play golf again if I do that, you know? But I don't find that to be the, the case. I, I find that the case happens more often than not than people begin to realize that when I choose to live an other-centered life, it changes me. It radically alters who I am. So here's the bottom line. You know, the bottom line is this is really simple. Really simple. But it's not easy. It's not easy at all. In fact, uh, probably 40 years ago, I memorized Philippians 2, 3 and 4. I mean, I, I have it down pat, you know, do nothing from emptiness or selfish conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourselves. Not looking out for your own personal interests. So... Maybe for you, it's beginning to etch in your mind God's thoughts by simply going to this passage in Philippians 2 and beginning to commit it to memory. 
write it out on a little three by five card. Put it prominently wherever you look on a regular basis. Make a screensaver on your computer or on your phone so that you are inundated by God's truth. Because I can tell you right now, if you're like me, you are inundated by your own personal truth. I have an omniscient syndrome in my life. When something happens, immediately I think I can tell you why it happened or what they were thinking, or why they did it, or all those kind of things. And I constantly have to assault myself with God's truth to say, look, Moran, you are not omniscient. You don't know. So choose the second chair. Choose. Choose to think of other people more important than you. Find out what they're thinking. Engage in them. Understand why they're dissatisfied in this relationship. What is it they're dissatisfied? Are they dissatisfied? Finding out about someone. You heard Brandon talk about being curious. You know, it's a lost art of humanity, of, of asking questions of other people. We love to experience what it means to be curious, we love to be known. Now, you may say, I'm a private person, I'm an introvert, and all that kind of stuff, and I'm thinking, yeah, 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 right, okay? You are human, and humans love to have someone explore them. We love to tell our story, our narrative. We love to hear ourselves talk, not to hear ourselves talk, but it helps us understand things when other people draw stuff out of us. And every relationship... Every marriage decays over time because we get familiar. And familiarity breeds contempt. Not contentness, but contempt. We hear the same story, the same complaint, the same this or that again. And we've never been curious about it. And so that person's never been explored. They never feel like we've really heard them. And so curiosity becomes a gift that we can give. The bottom line is, the bottom line is that great marriages start with a choice. We make a choice to love. We just decide. My wife sometimes is not as lovely as I would like her to be. But I make a choice. I I love her. I do things. I I explore her. I find ways to engage in that process. It's what makes us good human beings. Even if you're not married, you could look at this and go, look, I I need to be more curious. You know, we're in a, a period of loneliness as a result of this crazy COVID issues that have come into our world. And we desperately need people to explore us. And you become more human when you get to be curious with other people. But it starts with a choice. It starts with a choice just like God made a choice. He didn't have to love us. He didn't have to say, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth, and I'll be there until the end. He didn't have to commit that to us, but God made a choice to be in your corner. And when we get married... We make a choice. We make a choice to say, look, I'm going to be in your corner come hell or high water. No matter what, I'm going to be there for you. 
I'm going to practice an other-centered kind of a life. I'm not bringing 50%. I'm bringing 100%. And I'm hoping you bring the same. But I realize there will be times when you don't. But I want you to know I'm in your corner. I'm there. And this is going to work. Because I'm committed to make it work. I'm committed to do week in and week out, day in and day out, what it takes to explore you so that our relationship grows in satisfaction over time. We just don't dwindle off into the sunset and learn to live monologues and duet. See, great marriages are simple, but they're not easy. The beauty of making that choice over and over and over and over and over and over. You see the story beginning to be written in the Fisher's life. And there are tons of other people around here that could say the same thing. But if you're sitting there thinking, I would really like to be like that, I want to tell you, just open that app up. Go to the announcements. And when, put your name on the I Love You More Get involved in that four-week experience. It will not kill you. Trust me. And it might even help. Because it's a way of saying to your spouse, I'm going to make a choice. Do you want to join me? I'm going to decide that whatever we have right now is going to be better as long as our lives shall last. I realize it's not simple. And I know it's not easy, but I'm here. I'm in your corner. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us in a way that gives us an identity in your family, that that identity becomes a a strength, knowing that that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You are going to be there till the end. As your children, Father, May that grow an identity in us that that causes us to grow toward being fully human. Toward being fully present in our relationships and our marriages. That allows us to express to those that we commit to publicly. To to husbands and wives. It allows us to, to look at one another and say, we're going through hell right now. But I want you to know, I'm here. I'm not leaving. I know that that great relationships are not one, are not built when we have an evacuation type of spirit. And so like Jesus, I'm in your corner. I'm here till the end. Father, may, may our relationships as husband and wife have that character. Thank you for giving us the the ground to make that possible in Jesus. So we pray in his name.